Welcome to Out of Ratio, the podcast where we break free from the constraints of traditional thinking and embrace the extraordinary world of early childhood education. I'm your host, and together, let's embark on a journey that challenges the status quo, pushes boundaries, and nurtures the seeds of innovation. So get ready for captivating interviews, thought-provoking discussions, and inspiring stories that will challenge your perceptions and ignite your passion for early childhood education. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to Out of Ratio with Bertelson Education for a very special bonus episode. I'm your host, Sam, and joining me today is Justin, one of the founders of Bertelson Education. Justin, do you want to introduce our special guest today? Absolutely. Today we have a very, very special guest who is an integral part of Bertelson Education team and has been with us on and off for a while, but she's been with us full time for about a year. And we are so happy that Amanda Santa is joining us. She's our project manager extraordinaire, technical writing guru. Um, and Amanda really helps us to keep our internal and our external communications on point and really reflecting our values of innovation, collaboration, and family-focused. Amanda, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. So before we jump in, I want to let everybody know that this is an episode that you can get professional development hours and continuing education units for. In the show notes, there will be a link to create an account with Bertelson Education, take a five-question assessment to ensure you meet the learning outcomes, and then automatically get your certificate with your CEUs for free. Here we are again offering free CEUs by listening to a podcast and taking an assessment. So let's chat about our learning outcomes. In this podcast, we will talk about the following. We're going to explore the benefits of professional communication skills. We're going to define professional communication strategies explore various tools that can support helpful communication. And we're going to talk about analyzing our feelings about conflict, which everyone has, and then consider some new frameworks and how we can see things a little bit differently. Amanda, will you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Yes, I would love to. Um, So yeah, I mean, I've worked at Burleson Education for the last year or so um, and have loved it and have been on and off in and out for a lot longer than that. But yeah, my background is in English, actually. So I'm an English major. So my bachelor's degree was in um, professional communication. And then I have a master's degree in rhetoric, which I just adore. Um, I taught college writing for a little while as part of my master's degree program. So a lot of the communication skills that I have are more founded in like the composition and rhetoric side, meaning written communication. But they transfer over super, super well to verbal communication, too, which is obviously a huge part um, of ECE. So, yeah, that's a little bit about that. And then I live in southern Utah. I have an almost two-year-old. And I don't know anything else exciting about me. But, yeah, that's it. I'm so glad you're on the podcast. and I'm so glad you're on our team. I, I feel very fortunate and happy that we saved you from the grasps of meaning, like very menial grant writing. Um, <laughs> and, in some places, the the technical writers are, I always imagine that they're like in a closet somewhere, just like typing, you know, type, 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 type. But um, we love it. Like, yeah. <laughs> in a closet and type, type, type. So like people are like, oh, those poor souls. I'm like, no, we love it. That's so your happy place. Well, I'm glad we get to um, mix your, your passion for writing with the passion that you've newly discovered recently in ECE. Um, so... Tell me about how you have developed your passion for early childhood education or supporting parents in early childhood education. Tell me about that journey. 
again, I've worked in Burleson education on and off for a while. So I, I kind of have had this kind of external foundation. Um, and like I said, I also have a son who's about to turn two. And I think those two things together have really been a catalyst for me becoming really passionate. I was thinking about what I love about ECE and, and I think it's just the teachers and the people. I mean, I think that people who love children and who value their experience and who want to protect the innocence of childhood and who want to make it the most wonderful experience it can be are like the most wonderful people on the earth. So every time I have the opportunity in my work to like rub shoulders with a teacher, I get really gushy. <laughs> and I like, I think me and Sam were at a conference at one point and I was like, do I just come off so like <laughs> disgusting to these teachers? And they're just like, who is this lady? Because I'm like, oh my gosh, like you guys are like, thank you. Like the work you do matters so 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 much and and I think also when I think about like the history of EC and as I've learned more about just the background mm -hmm. of this field it used to be about helping kids survive like just helping them get food and babysitting right and now it's about helping children thrive and I just love mm -hmm. that I love that it's a field that's evolving and as we learn more and more and more it just becomes more and more critical and so yeah I think I don't know if that really answered the question but I think that EC is just a really special place because it's a really special group of people. It's parents and children, which are like literally the foundation of all society. So I think that's just amazing. Yeah, I'll try not to gush too much. Yeah, it's it's hard because as someone like myself who didn't necessarily come from an early childhood education professional background, but more of personal experience, I feel the same. It's like, can I, if when I'm at a conference with teachers, like, can I wash your feet? You know, can I roll out a red carpet so you can, you know, I'll carry you to your next thing if you want me to. You know, I just think that <laughs> um, early childhood educators are so, so, uh, as we've mentioned, really critical to the U.S. economy, like economically, the U.S. society, socially, you know, like everything we are as as Americans and as people, you know, regardless of um, of any identifying characteristic, the foundation is really parents and families and children mm -hmm. and as yeah. we can support those uh, institutions or support the institutions that support them or help like you said children thrive I think we're on the right path as as a human race um yeah I like to think too I'll just say this too I feel like any accomplishment that's ever made by a human who has a child there has to be a subtext or like a credit line given to the people who are taking care of that child right like the, the it will not happen with have you ever tried to do something with a toddler like it just will not happen you can't do the things that you do unless you have that support and so um yeah i'm gushing now but i think it um it's so critical and i and i think all of that lends to the context of why communication in this field is so important is because mm -hmm. it is so emotional and it is you're talking about parents and children and so if we forget that context of the gushiness that comes from you know what i mean the emotion that's tied to parent and children relationships like then we're kind of you know off to the wrong start so we'll talk more about that but I think it all kind of relates back a little bit yeah. yeah I used to joke with my mom who was a center director I used to joke with her all the time like I just imagine like what I could accomplish if I was like if I had all the brain cells and the rest and the time of the me before kids I think I could probably, I don't know, run for president because I would I would feel at the the me that I am now would be like, 
what what did you do with all of that time? Would you just sit around? What do you do when there's nothing to do? Because having kids and moving into that part of life completely changes your perspective on what's important and what you do with your free time. And I mean, it changes everything, how much sleep you get. Um, like Literally everything about your whole life changes. I am really, really excited to talk about communication for two main reasons, for lots of reasons, but two main ones. One, I get to watch Amanda's amazing communication skills work for all of us at Burleson Education every day. And she really, truly is fantastic at it. And I think Amanda and I jive really well together, but we also have a lot of in our talks, we're like very specific about, oh, how do I want to put this? Like, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. Here is something that I'm going to say, but this is also what I need. And so I feel like we're both the type of person that's very careful in our communication. And I it makes me laugh when we have conversations and there's always like a caveat part of the communication. But also when I was working at a center, communication is one of the most frequent pieces of feedback that I got both from teachers and from families, but it was never consistent feedback. Like for some people, it was too much communication. For some people, it was never enough communication. For some people, it just wasn't the right like mode of transportation of communication. And it was really frustrating at times to feel like I was doing my best to communicate as simply because you want the message to get across, but then also like joyfully because you don't want this the millennial in me coming out now, like because you're adding seven smiley faces so no one thinks you're mad. And (laughs) then also getting feedback that like, oh, well, I just want a piece of paper or I only do texts. And I'm like, you know, okay, so there's not a way to make everybody happy. But can you talk a little bit about why that communication piece is so important in ECE and the impact that having solid professional communication can have on both a center and like workplace culture. Sure. Yeah. And I think like when you were talking to him, I was thinking a little bit about an experience that I had when I was teaching writing, right? Like I taught freshman writing at a college. It's probably people's like most dreaded class they ever have to take. And it was like, (laughs) it was my personal mission to convert people, right? (laughs) To like tell them that they actually loved it. And because it's really a communication class is what it is. Mm -hmm. But as we were talking about it, you know, I would talk to these students and they'd be like, yeah, communication is so critical and, and pick a principle, right? They'd be like, oh, you know, thesis statements are just, you know, super important. I understand why they're important. And I'd be like, okay, do you understand? Let's do some examples. Let's practice. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is easy. Oh my gosh. And then I'd get their paper back and they'd be like, I'd be like, did we not talk about this? Like, I thought we talked about, I thought you got like, you totally got this in class. And my point in this little example is just that I don't think there's a person on earth who will ever say communication is not important. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a person who say it doesn't matter. But I also think that even though we say it matters and, and, you know, if I say something like, listen to the other person, you're going to be like, yeah, obviously, but in practice, it's harder to do, right? Like we Mm -hmm. all know some of these things and they might feel intuitive and obvious, but when we sit down to try and do them and we put those skills to the test, we miss the mark somehow, um, which is really critical because there are very specific benefits to professional communication that I think are so, so important. And I think just three like that I think of often. First of all, I think 
just healthy and lasting relationships with coworkers and parents, right? So whether you're in an admin director seat or a teacher seat or a parent seat, being able to form healthy relationships is a communication issue, right? Like if if you don't talk to someone, you cannot have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a text, whether that's a phone call, whether that's every day at pickup and drop off, what whatever it is, like you cannot build a relationship without communication, without talking and engaging with the other person. And and I think, you know, from a practical standpoint, the deeper and more committed I am to a relationship, the more likely I am to keep coming back, to keep paying my tuition and bringing my kid there, the more trust I'm going to have, um, the easier it's going to be to communicate about the hard things that come up, right? Um, if we've already got this relationship of trust and this good foundation. Two, I think the second benefit for ECE specifically is continuity of care. If you can't communicate with a parent um, very well, then I think it's going to be the child who winds up suffering, right? If we can't kind of build this system where we can say, this is what's happening when they're with us, what's happening when they're with you. Can we all be on the same page? Can we not be defensive about that? Can we, you know, um, be very accepting, not blame each other for things? Those are really important things that come down to communication, I think. Um, I mean, there's definitely other things too, but I think communication helps in that a lot. Mm-hmm. And three, and this one feels so massive to me, I just want to model healthy communication to the children in our care, right? Like the more that we can kind of champion healthy communication styles um, and model that for kids, I think the better our society is going to become. Um which sounds probably cliche, but I just think it's really true. Um, learning how to yeah. deal with conflict, learning how to like say when you like or don't like something. And I think if we look at like the downsides of this without professional communication and these communication foundations, we wind up in situations, environments, workplaces, whatever, with a lot of gossip, lots of misunderstandings and hurt feelings and no real path out of that, right? I think even if you have great communication, all of that stuff can still happen. But communication is the path to get back to a healthy um, Mm -hmm. place. And, you know, if that sounds petty, I mean, not communicating well and having these misunderstandings and gossip consumes so much energy, just so much. I mean, I can think of a million personal examples where, you know, my, someone I love said something and I misunderstood it and it just consumed like two days of my life reading into it and trying to be like, oh my gosh, what was that? And asking everyone I love, like, did, was that mean? What do you think? And how many smiley faces do need to go at the end of this text <laughs> message? Right. So I think um, those benefits are super important and and the downsides are really kind of nasty if we don't value communication and, and work toward it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, one thing that I will share about Amanda and in regards to communication is that she is a bona fide Swifty. And when you're talking about people reading into things or kind of zapping your life, uh, me growing up in Kansas City um, as a kind of part-time Chiefs fan, because it's where I grew up, the Swifty, like the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift relationship has been inescapable. And at times... Things like that, like whether I'm reading about it or whether I'm watching a football game and all they're doing is talking about it, whether it's the pages I follow on LinkedIn from Kansas City talking about how this relationship has boosted the Kansas City economy or sent the small vendors of Travis Kelsey t-shirts over the moon in sales, whatever. But it's kind of like all consuming. And I think what 
what happens in ECE spaces is like, well, the if there's gossip, the gossip is all consuming and it creates a mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the situation with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, you know, good luck on their relationship, you know, really rooting for them. Um, but there's the talk and the communication that everything all the communication surrounding the relationship has permeated the culture of the NFL or permeated the culture of, of pop music of, okay, there's these two worlds colliding. And in early childhood education, the communication that we have really sets a tone and creates a culture. And that's one thing that we're really into and intentional about at Bertelson education is how we communicate. I mean, we're, very open with each other. We're very transparent here. Um, we have, we push each other in terms of like, we really encourage each other and um, we try to communicate very, very openly. But in some places, that's just not the case. Well, and I think too, like, I mean, in that example, like I am a Swifty. And so like that relationship, right? Like them going on a date or whatever, it has these huge ripple effects, right? Yeah. Whether you think they're positive or negative, there's been both. And I hope that no center is dealing with the scale of that relationship. (laughs) Those those ripple effects just like happen, right? Mm -hmm. One interaction with a parent at pickup and there's ripple effects. Like Mm -hmm. one kind of something, you know, a parent walks in and sees something out of context and reads into it too much ripple effects, right? So Mm -hmm. I think being very cognizant of the way that your you know, interactions and things create these communication situations that kind of like go out of control. Um, It's better to just be on top of it. It's better to think a little bit more um, proactively so you don't have to react quite so much to those situations when they happen. But Yeah. I remember when the Chiefs had a bye week or they were playing a game in Europe this year. And then after the game Travis Kelsey went like flew to Buenos Aires to go to a a concert of Taylor Swift's in Argentina. And I tell you, I almost sold my car to go to Buenos Aires because I was like, I got to go and see the power couple, you know, because at that time it was still very, very new. But anyway, the point of that is that I was kind of a, a bystander or someone who wasn't even involved in the communication, but there are, there's like a collateral damage in communication if it's not very, very intentional. And there's implicit communication, but there's also very, very explicit communication. And I'm not talking about like saying cuss words, but Amanda, do you want to talk about the difference in those things in a child care center, what that looks like? Maybe some suggestions on how to bring implicit communication into explicit. I think they both just exist, right? Like the difference is, is how people interpret them, right? Like there mm-hmm. is expli- everything you say is technically an explicit communication, but the way that you say it <laughs> kind of determines how it's going to be interpreted. Um, you know, if you're talking to someone who is kind of like a straight shooter and they're going to read you very literally, you have to understand that when you're communicating with them, right? Like if I don't know that you're going to take me super literally, you know, I think of like Dwight from the office, right? Like if I'm talking mm-hmm. to Dwight, I can't like, I probably couldn't reference like a joke that's like in pop culture at the time or something like that. Right. And I would have to know that. So I I don't think it's so much about the communication style of like, should I be explicit or implicit as much as it is, what does my audience need? Right. Like, so if I'm talking to a parent, it depends on the parent too. Right. Um, If they're the kind of person who's like, I don't really have a lot of time. I don't, I'm not super interested in like talking to you a ton. I just want to come get my child and take them home. 
or drop them off or whatever, then, you know, under when I craft a text message to that person, I know that they're probably going to value their time a lot and not want like, I don't know, a tiny message about a bunch of different things or something like that. So, I mean, I, I think it just comes down more, more than like explicit and implicit. I think it's more reading the room and understanding your audience and who you're talking to. I think, I think both are great tools. I think you should practice both types of communication, but I also think they're tools to be used in, in different scenarios and you have to read the room to know which one is probably best for you. Mm -hmm. So Wait, wait, wait. from what I'm gathering, you suggest that we should have very tailored communication. <laughs> you, you get it tailored. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. That's good. okay. That's good. Um, oh, but yeah, I think not the only thing in my life, just because these listeners are <laughs> like, so she saws yeah. when she meets childcare providers, and she's a swifty. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Amanda is so multidimensional, but this is one of the things that. Uh, I think has been really on my mind recently is how that relationship is really inescapable in pop culture. But this isn't a, a podcast about pop culture. This is a podcast about early childhood education and how we can provide a like a meaningful message. So I think the the point that Amanda made is so poignant that it's like we need to have communication that really fits the person. We can't just have a one size fits all, whether that's communicating with other teachers or communicating with parents or communicating with children. And Sam, I'm sure you've experienced that in a billion different situations of having as a leader in a, in a small child care center of having to tailor communications to different kinds of parents and whatever. I think it's really, really key. I like that you acknowledge that there's responsibility on the party sending or giving that communication, not just on the party receiving the communication. Because um, I think a lot of times, you know, if we're in a rush or we're sending something or it, look, when you're in the director's seat or you're in a teacher seat and you're trying to get a communication out, you don't always have time to sit down and really carefully craft something. And in that same seat, sometimes you get communication back that you're interpreting. And so I think that it's really important to remember that there is responsibility on us to think about, take a second, stop, think about who are you communicating with? How maybe is the best way to communicate with this person or group of people or child, depending on who you're talking to. Um, and then, you know, and then make sure that when or if you receive communication back, we're also taking a second to go, okay, am I reading into this more than maybe they really quickly sent that message back and they didn't have a second to, you know, add seven smiley faces so that I know they're not mad at me or whatever, you know, I think... I think it's easy to forget that there's a responsibility there. And so I like that you kind of acknowledge that it's important for us to think about not just what we're sending, but how it might be received as well. Have you ever been in the middle of a lesson and thought to yourself, I wish I had an example of this to show my students? Or had a classroom conflict where you wished there was a tool for social-emotional learning that would excite your students to use? Let me introduce you to Marco Polo Learning, an award-winning e-learning platform developed to help children learn at home and at school through creative characters and storytelling through convenient mobile apps. With Marco Polo, you'll find engaging tools to bring your curriculum to life, 
embedded professional development, social-emotional learning videos, and tools to connect with families that will empower them to take an active part in their child's learning. We know that you and your students are going to love it. To start learning, engaging, and sharing with Marco Polo Learning today, head over to marcopololearning.com. Link is in the show notes. Let's get back to the show. I think this is probably the most fundamental communication strategy I know of. In writing, we call it like understanding the rhetorical situation. I'm going to call it understanding context, right? Like reading the context as much as you can, like just Mm -hmm. taking a second to say, I'm not just going to look at this text or this message on our app or like whatever in isolation. I'm going to look at it with the understanding of I have of you know, what's going on with this child and this parent? What's their home life like? What kind of interactions have they had with the teachers they're working with? How many interactions have they had with me personally? Are they responding? You know, everything that I can understand, the more research, more information that I have about these people, the better I'm going to be able to interpret that message, right? It's, I think it's just, I think of a good example as maybe being like, you know, when someone who's, um, you know, for, for example, my father-in-law, sometimes he'll send text messages that are, I could read as very kind of blunt and to the point because he uses like a lot of periods, um, which I think uh, my parents do the same thing. I think it's like kind of a generational thing. <laughs> and um, how dare they and, use punctuation? I know, like normal <laughs> punctuation in the text. But I have to stop myself and say, oh my gosh, did I just like read that the wrong way? Oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh, he hates me. He's so mad at me. This horrible thing happened. It's like, no, he just was like communicating something very normal, um, but mm-hmm. I read into it, right? And and that happens with like, it, again, it's just the context is I'm a millennial. So I text in a very different way than my parents or anybody else in my life. So I, I not anybody else, but <laughs> you know what I mean? With older yeah. generations and things like that. So I, I think if I stop, if I don't stop to think, who am I texting and mm-hmm. what are they trying to communicate and what's the context of that? then I set myself up to get my feelings heard and to be, you know, all that energy starts pouring into it. But if I take a step back and say, wait, wait, I have a good relationship with this person. I know that they wouldn't say something like that. I know what they are trying to get across. Okay. I have enough context to be able to put that in the right mindset and move on. And I think a lot of times when we think about this type of thing, we think, okay, well, this means sitting down and like creating a brainstorm map of everything I know about this person. I don't think it's that. I think it's, as simple as um, building relationships, getting to know a person sincerely right. and starting there and then asking yourself a couple of questions like, mm-hmm. who am I talking to really? Like, what do I know about them? What do I need from them? Like, what's my actual message to them? Uh, what do they need from me? And how can we both get what we need, right? And mm-hmm. it, just those simple, simple questions as we start crafting a communication can really help us pump the brakes and and get that context that we need, right? And understand different things. So I know you brought some examples with you today, which I love um, because communication, like you said, is essential in like life, but also in literally every part of early childhood. Um, So, you know, you're talking directors to their staff, directors to the families, teachers to the students, teachers to the families, teachers back to leadership, right? Because that can be a really tough spot to like give feedback or talk upward to the people above you um and of course I could keep going on forever um all of this has made me think of one parent in particular at the center I used to work at we used to say that getting emails from her was like whiplash because 
We knew her in person and she was great, super sweet, but wasn't always the one who was coming to pick up or drop off. So it wasn't like we saw her on a daily basis. And we would get emails from her and they would be like super short, extremely curt, like came off to most of us. Again, we're like mushy, gushy ECE people, right? So we have hearts at the end of our sentences, but like just came off very harsh, I guess maybe is like the, like you said, there's like perfect punctuation and like it's very explicit in this is what it is. And then we would get emails from her that were like gushing, like, we love you so much. We're so glad you're our school, which were always great. But then we would look at each other and be like, what is happening? Like, you know, and so I feel like we were on the receiving end of being like, how do I communicate back when I don't know? I really don't know even where to begin. Like, I can just kind of do my best, but I don't know if she's upset. I don't know if she's right after I answer going to send me like a mushy gushy, I love you. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to our family email. So maybe we can take a minute and go through some of the scenarios that you brought and follow like the communication path and the issues that those things might bring up between the two parties and what they could have done differently to like help with a smooth communication process. Cause I think maybe giving some like specific examples might help us take it to the next level. Definitely. And I think like specifics are the best place to live because they Mm -hmm. help you actually apply what you're learning. So yeah, as I get these examples, I'll probably point out like some specific foundational skills or strategies that I think are really helpful. And I think we'll tie all of them back to context because I think that one's really important. So let's do one about, let's do a teacher to her like superior, her director or, mm-hmm. or owner or whatever. So um, I, I made up names and stuff and I feel kind of cheesy about it, but it's the best way no. for me to through this. So here we go. No, I think it's great. My little short story, my little vignette. I got really emotional about these. <laughs> Miss Jenny is a full-formed human in my mind. Okay, so Miss Jenny <laughs> is a teacher who is feeling a little burnt out and overwhelmed by work the last few weeks. She got a new student in her class and has been struggling with some of their behavior challenges. She knows taking a Friday off and recharging would really help her come back to work on Monday with the patience she needs to manage her new student. Miss Louise, her director, has a really stringent attendance policy. When Miss Jenny asks for the day off on Wednesday at 3 p.m., she doesn't tell Miss Louise why, and Miss Louise immediately dismisses the request, citing a wedding Miss Jenny attended earlier in the year. Miss Jenny leaves feeling even more burnt out than before and shares some of her negative feelings with her coworkers. Okay, so I feel like this is a pretty classic example of just not fully explaining yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one, you know, Miss Jenny doesn't go ahead and, and say, hey, here's why I need the Friday off, right? Like, or here's mm-hmm. what I'm feeling, experiencing. I'm feeling burnt out. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, and because Miss Jenny doesn't explain that her director hasn't doesn't have enough information to really resolve the issue right because at the end of the day the issue yes it's talking about taking a Friday off but the bigger issue is burnout and so if if the director is able to see okay I can tell she's feeling really burnt out because she told me she's feeling really burnt out she's asking Mm -hmm. for a Friday off I don't think I can swing giving her that Friday off but there's probably something else I can do to support her maybe adding you know giving her some extra help in her classroom talking to the parents of the student, getting some more context, whatever. So I think in this type of situation, it's important for um, the teacher, Miss Jenny, to go to the director and explain herself as clearly as possible. You don't have to be oversharing and overly vulnerable and burst into tears. I think we get like, there's a lot of stigma around that type of communication, but it's, it's okay to say something very straightforward and say, 
hey, I'm feeling burnt out and be direct. And that type of communication can go a long way in helping you actually solve the problem. Now on the context side for Miss Louise, she didn't really ask any questions, right? Like she didn't push back and say, okay, like what's this about? Or why do you need the day off? Or, you know, is it a family emergency or is it, you know, like what, what's going on? She just kind of quickly brushed it aside. And so I think in both scenarios, being more open and being more curious, right? On both sides fosters better communication because there's room there to actually understand the context of the situation. Now, the other thing I want to point out here in this example is timing, right? Like timing is such a critical part of communication. So when we choose to send a message or when we choose to respond to a message plays a big role in how that message is received. In writing, we call this kairos. And I always think of the example of like breaking news, right? If I don't report on breaking news within two hours of the event happening, it's going to miss the mark, right? Like it won't work anymore. Um, so in this example, Miss Jenny is asking for the day off on a Wednesday at 3 p.m. So it's just a couple days before Friday. Um, so there's not a lot of room for Miss Louise to make a game plan. And it's at 3 p.m., which from my understanding is not the ideal time to be asking for time off to a director in a center. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on, right? Like people are coming to go and there's a lot of hustling. So mm -hmm. I think timing in this case um, would be, you know, something um, that could help alleviate that situation. And I, I think Miss Jenny could also set it up. I think timing, one of the easiest ways that you can kind of buffer a situation like this is, you know, if Miss Jenny went to Miss Louise in the morning and said, hey, at some point today, I want to talk to you about taking a day off. When's a good time to talk about that? So kind of setting the stage for the conversation so that when it's time to talk about it, Miss Louise isn't blindsided. She's already had some time to think about it, right? I think you made some really fantastic points. Like, again, going back to the context, right? So, like, there really was no context at all so from, from anybody, right? Why, you know, why did she say no? Oh, that wedding, right? That's still not, like, a ton of context, even for why we've said no. So I think that between the timing, like, if they had had a second to go into the office and have a conversation that was like, listen, I'm feeling really burnt out. Oh, that complete, just that one sentence changes the entire conversation. But in the middle of the hallway, maybe Miss Jenny didn't really want to like throw that phrase out there right in the middle of all of her coworkers or around her students, or maybe there were parents picking up and she didn't, you know, she didn't want to say to everybody that she's feeling burnt out, which again, is totally fine. Human thing. We all feel burnt out, but I don't know how Miss Jenny feels, the fully formed human being in Amanda's mind about telling everyone that she's burnt out. And then I think the other thing that that really made me think of was anticipating how the communication might go and doing things that might make it easier to accomplish your goal. So like I see, could Miss Jenny ask one of her coworkers, like if she was going to talk because she was talking to them anyway. If she was going to talk to them, maybe she had someone there that she could confide in to be like, hey, I'm feeling really burnt out. I'm thinking about asking for Friday off. You don't work on Fridays. Could you cover me maybe? like, And maybe she's finding the sol her own solution to a problem she knows is coming. She's anticipating that. So when she goes to Miss Louise, she could say, I've already found some, like I've already helped you make the plan. Does this work? And anticipate yeah. how that communication may go and then find a solution to those problems. Yeah. And I think we could think about that type of thing, like creating solutions is just adding context, right? Like it's mm -hmm. adding more and more information for Miss Louise to make a decision from and to understand the situation. Like, oh man, mm -hmm. she's so burnt out and tired. 
she went ahead and found someone to replace her time. Like she, mm-hmm. she knew she needed this enough that she's not just throwing a problem on my plate. Like she's trying to solve her own problem. And mm-hmm. I think that's a worthwhile investment. Right. And, and, you know, if you're a director or an admin listening to this, you're probably like, yeah, but we can't just give people time off every time they say that they're burnt out. Right. <laughs> For sure. That's totally fine. Um, But I think trying really hard to understand that shared value of, okay, like, I think that's another key strategy is working from shared values and saying, mm-hmm. okay, my goal as the director, admin, insert, you know, uh, you know, lead teacher, whatever, is that all of my employees feel happy, that they feel supported, that they feel safe communicating with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that my teacher's goal is to come to work feeling happy, supported and safe, right? Like they, we have these shared goals. And so when we, in this example, we weren't working from a shared goals, goal space. It was kind of Miss Jenny versus Miss Louise. And in reality, I think they both have their best interests at heart, each other's best interests at heart. Miss Jenny doesn't want to create a problem. And Miss Louise doesn't want Miss Jenny to feel burnt out, but they have to be able to communicate through it. Um, mm-hmm. And so finding that space of shared values can help us get to a better place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of shared values, sorry, can I put a pin in the in the stories for a second? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about shared values, one way that I see a lot of people struggling to communicate, especially within leadership, is when we start talking about like, mission statements and vision like those kind of big scope concepts even with like goals sometimes but maybe like bigger goals five years ten years those kind of things that seem far away or that aren't like super clearly defined it can feel sometimes like you're trying to get your staff or the families or the community to like buy into what you're selling a little bit um and it can be kind of an uncomfortable place to communicate from if that's how you're feeling do you have an example of what someone in a leadership position could do or how they could communicate their vision for their program or their school or their classroom in a healthy supportive clear way that creates trust between them and whatever stakeholders in their program they're speaking to whoever that may be Yeah, definitely. And I totally agree. I mean, I think creating culture, which is kind of what a mission statement is supposed to do and these visions and goals are supposed to do, is so hard. It's so, so, so hard. It's not something that you just do. It's not something that just happens. It's not like Mm -hmm. if you're a director or an admin, you know, you don't just write this vision statement one night at 8 p.m. and show up the next day and everyone's like, okay, and they all (laughs) live it, right? And they And I think, so a couple of thoughts. One, I think, yeah, work from that space of shared values. Start there and say, be very explicit about what you mean. This is a time for explicit communication where you say, our mission statement is this. To me, that means, you know, my goal is that we all come to work with a sense of purpose and happiness that we all, um, you know, I know I own this business or I know I'm the lead teacher or I know I'm this or that but I care a lot about your feelings and happiness. And I hope you can sense that. And if there's ever a point where you're not sensing that, I want to talk about it because it's important to me. So not only don't just give the mission statement, but explain why the mission statement matters and and how you're going to live that. So share that sense of value. I think one of the best things you can do, and we actually did this at Rudelson Education, um, is offer opportunities for feedback and connection. So, you know, when we were creating, when, Justin and Jill were creating the three pillars of Burleson education. They asked the team to say, what do you guys think are the pillars of Burleson education? Like what are the things we live by and stand by? 
And all of us contributed different ideas. And I think the three that we landed on, innovation, collaboration, and family focus, were things that the team came up with. Um, and so it was much easier to buy into that because it was something we came up with. And then Justin mm -hmm. and Jill were able to elaborate on each of those and say, you know, this is super important to me and this matters a lot. And I commit to showing that in the actions that I take as the leader of this business. And I hope you'll commit to that in the actions you take as an employee. And here's what I mean by mm -hmm. that, right? So I think um, offering chance for buy-in, offering opportunities to create that culture together. It, culture is something you can't just hand to people. You can't just make mm -hmm. them, do, right? So giving a lot of invitations um, and then living it, right? Like if you're serious about a culture or a mission statement, you have to live it, right? Like you can't say that the most important thing in your business is family focus and then get mad when you, I'm talking about our business, right? Like we're all remote and we all have kids. So <laughs> get upset when a kid pops into a meeting because, you know, that's our reality for a lot of things. And so I think just committing to say, let's live this together. One more thought on this, that giving agency and choice in the smaller things. So as this starts funneling down, so we've got like the mission statement and then we've kind of got like how I'm defining that, how I want you to define it, these kind of conversations, maybe you're rolling that out on like a PD day. And then we've got like, you know, for family focus this year, this is kind of an activity I have in mind or a budget, or here's like three or four different options of what I think we can do. So for example, with employees, you could say something like, this is the budget that I have for PDD this year. What sounds the best to you? Going to a conference, something at the mm -hmm. center, or a paid day off to complete your PD asynchronously. Like you find it and do it yourself, but you get a paid day off and you can use that. It just needs to be done by a certain deadline. So you can kind of just offer that agency to not only create the culture, but then to live it too and say, what's going to be the best here? I think when you're trying to create kind of bigger themes and bigger ideas and mission statements and cultures, you have to work with people. You can't just create it in isolation. It just won't ever stick. So again, context, relationships, building that out. If you have a group of employees or a team, and you know, even if you're a teacher, you influence this a lot, right? Like mm -hmm. if you notice that stuff is just kind of stuck or you're just kind of feeling icky in your workspace, which happens, that happens to everybody. We have to do some work to rebuild some relationships. Like every single person who has a job at some point or another doesn't like something about their job. I don't know anyone who's like, this is all my favorite. <laughs> and so being okay saying, oh, I'm feeling kind of icky about this or I'm not feeling great and communicating that and saying, but I know that we all want everyone to feel good here. So if I'm not feeling good, I can work together and we can feel better, which probably sounds really cliche and maybe poetic, but I, I think it's really true. I've seen that work yeah. in my career personally. So I think it's an, an important skill. My mom always used to say, I can't fix a problem I don't know exists. And it's like yeah. one of my favorite little, like, <clears throat> call it a mantra, whatever. I say it to my kids all the time. Like, I can't fix it if I don't know what the problem is. And I think, especially in centers, it's so easy for the problems to kind of start to run away and to never talk about like, hold on, like what is the problem so that we can actually solve it? No, I think it's so critical as a, a leader to not only help in the construction and defense of the values of the business, but also to be an evangelist of those values. And as Kind of as one of the founders of Bertelsen Education, I always joke and tell people that I'm like the chief evangelical officer, meaning like I love helping our team see the vision of how we adhere to those core principles. And if you're working in a center right now and you don't really know why you're doing it or what is your main purpose, then you should try to talk with one of your superiors and say, what is our vision here? You know, is our vision, do we want to create a culture where kids have fun? I know 
the learning experience, their catchphrase is happiness happens here. So they like that is very much their niche. They have like a, a mascot elephant that walks around and visits centers and stuff. So they're like very, very happy. But other centers, they may be focused on like outdoor play or um, perhaps they were focused on like STEM stuff. So they can take that those core values that the leadership decide both in the creation and the dissemination of to their team like hey we really believe here at abc child care center that every child is unique and has the ability to make music and boom help them to make music so when you're reflecting on the activities you do with those children is it to help children make music? is it? Does it go back and support the values that have been decided upon as a, a group? And in, in Bertelsen Education, when we did that, I thought that was one of the best meetings we've ever had when everybody was able to really think, what do we, what is this business now? And what is Bertelsen Education going to become as a force for good and for change in early childhood education? So Amanda, we've talked about a lot of different things today, but for the sake of Bertelsen education, really adhering and practicing what we preach here, what are some practical tools that we can give to caregivers in this podcast to help cultivate clear communication? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you're right. Like if it doesn't come down to like a practical solution, it's not really helpful at all. So I think in talking about all this, first, I think just doing an inventory of the tools that you do have, like, how do you actually communicate? So obviously there's like talking to people, um, maybe drop off and pick up times or you have a team meeting or something like that. But then I also start thinking about, you know, the basic ones, texting, phone calls, emails. Um, maybe you have an app that you communicate with families or employees through maybe like Brightwheel or Slack or something like that. Um, you also are probably sending paper copies of things home, flyers, handouts, things like that. Usually there's a handbook of some kind for both employees and parents. We've also got things like social media channels and groups um, there's the, basically, I think sitting down and kind of taking stock, okay, what do I use to communicate? And am I using those tools very intentionally, right? Like, am I doing something on texting that should be done on email, vice versa? So we obviously don't have time to talk about each of those individual tools, but I think just sitting down and making a list of how do I communicate with parents? How do I communicate with employees? How do I communicate with my team can be really helpful. Um, and then I think, starting to set up a, a firm system. I'm a systems person. I think it helps a lot. And the reason I say that is, you know, if there's something sticky or tricky that needs to be communicated or even something normal and, and just normal, having a system kind of is the first form of communication. So let me give an example of what I mean. Maybe you come up with a system where you say, okay, phone calls are for emergencies only, texts are for urgent issues, and app or email communication are for like nice to knows. Um, including like a weekly newsletter and a calendar that goes home and that gets sent home as a paper copy as well, right? This system also applies to your staff. You do the same thing. You can announce this new system to everybody. And then when something happens, you know, if I get a message on the app and I'm in the middle of a work meeting, I don't feel like I have to drop what I'm doing to go respond to that. It's, it's about Susie left her coat and, you know, remember to get it next time or whatever, right? Like it's something that's not gonna, not life or death. But if I'm in an important, meeting and I get a phone call, then I know, okay, holy cow, like Susie's bleeding. Something's happening. Something big something's is going up. on. Something's up. We got to talk about it, right? We got to talk about it right now. So mm -hmm. having that system set up and then communicating that and 
evangelizing that to your parents and to your staff and then sticking to it is one way it's the first line of communication it's gonna just create it's it you're you're sending the smiley faces right like this is a casual happy thing this is kind of a more urgent thing this is you know maybe a payment thing is gonna go through text or something like that right like so whatever system you create with whatever tools you have you definitely want to like create that system and then advocate for it and talk about it and use it so some questions I might ask myself as I'm doing that is maybe what messages do I communicate the most often? What messages are the most important that I communicate? How do the people I need to communicate with like to communicate? And how will I communicate this system to them? This mm-hmm. last one I think is probably most important. How will the people I communicate with be able to respond or reach me? I think a lot of times when we're talking about kind of mass communication, sending an email, sending a flyer, sending these things, it's easy to forget that people need to be able to get back to me really quickly. So I I think that take some inventory of your tools, create some sort of system, evangelize that system, communicate it very clearly in multiple ways, and then stick to that system. So what I've learned today is that if I get really good at communicating there will never, ever, ever be conflict in my life, right? Right, of course. Yeah, <laughs> did it. Congratulations! Oh, that you were just kidding. No. no, I mean, of course not. Like, I super, super, super wish that that was true. But I, think we I all do. Don't. I also don't wish that that was true. Um, you know, my husband and I always talk about how conflict is not good or bad. It's just a part. It's a side effect of being a human being. It's part of human life. Um, and it's morally neutral, right? Like, I think we get really fired up of just wanting to avoid conflict, but it's something that you just can't avoid. It's just there. And I think what it really is, is when we have a conflict with someone is it's an indication that we're not on the same page about something and it's a sign. Okay. Let's get on the same page. Right. I think of it in the same way of like, oh, if my thumb hurts and it's purple, (laughs) it's not, my body's not mad at me and my body's not fighting with me and there's no moral argument that my body is making my body's just telling me hey something's wrong with your thumb right um and it's a lot harder to do that with communication and keeping some emotion removed from it mm-hmm. but i think if we can step back and say conflict isn't bad it's just something that happens we can take a lot of the shame and the avoidance the desire to avoid it out um and then we can move forward in more productive ways um yeah. and I think also it's really important in this vein to remember that in the moments in your life when you have overcome a conflict with someone, you usually become really close to that person through that conflict, right? Right? Like, I'm not close to my partner because we never have conflict. Mm. I'm close (laughs) to my partner because we've worked really hard to figure out how to get over that conflict. And we understand each other better. And our context is just enriched because of all those experiences of having conflicts and having to work through those conflicts. So I think trying to keep those things in mind, that conflict is morally neutral. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just something that happens and that it's a bridge to a better, richer relationship can really Mm -hmm. help us feel less icky about it. Yeah. I am full of one, like little quips and quotes today for this but um I had a friend who always used to say that conflict happens when expectations don't meet reality and she said it like in a business sense when you're talking like adult to adult but I remember in the classroom it applies so much to young children like when their expectation does not meet reality that's when like major conflict with small people happens and so it's like 
just another thing that lives in my brain. So here is my last question. If I am listening to this podcast, I'm a teacher, I'm a director, I work in ECE, I am a living human being, and I want to start using these communication techniques right now, today, where can I start? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you're right. It's like a fire hose, right? I think first, just take a deep breath and recognize that you're not going to be able to resolve all communication issues. There will always be conflict and it's, it's a natural part. You're not doing anything wrong if there's conflict, um, necessarily, (laughs) but what it really comes down to, I think, and the first thing you can do is build the relationships around you, get to know the people around you better and sincerely. Um, and that builds you a solid foundation to understand how they communicate the best, what they need from you in communication, Um, do an assessment of yourself and say, how do I like to communicate? And, you know, am I penalizing people because they're communicating with me in ways that I don't like to be communicated with? Maybe, you know, so kind of just take a step back, get to know the people around you, the parents, the teachers, the children, um, and start with connection, start with, by connecting with people and then go from there and then start thinking about the messages you want to send to those people. and, And then you'll have the tools you need to send them. I love that. I think that's such a great takeaway. Start with connection. This was wonderful. Uh, I think I've I've learned a lot about communication and I hope uh, our dear listeners have as well. There's a lot of application here in both the lives of directors and administrators as well as teachers. Amanda, thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you today and hearing everything that you had to share about communication. Thank you so much again. And um, do you have any last little words of wisdom for our listeners? I mean, I feel like you ended perfectly, but do you got anything else for us? Yeah, I mean, I think the last things I'll say are just thank you to all the providers who are listening today. I think that that's all I want to use this platform for is just to say thank you. I sincerely see you and I appreciate you. And the work you do is not only so important to me personally, but uh, is just critical to our entire society. You deserve a line of credit on every great accomplishment that comes from a parent. So thanks for all you do. And I'm going to gush at you because you can't make me feel uncomfortable by looking back at me in an audio format. So I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, just thank you. Wow. What a deep dive into the art of communication and early childhood education we had today. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've got my communication toolkit ready to go after that conversation. Amanda, your journey into ECE may not have been the typical one, but your perspective is priceless. Being a mom and navigating the intricacies of communication in and outside of this field, that is a unique blend of experiences we can all learn from. And remember listeners, you can earn continuing education credits for this episode. Check out the link in the show notes, take a quick assessment, and voila, free CEUs for your professional development needs. Diving into communication challenges, strategies, and tools was so illuminating. It's reassuring to know that even in moments of conflict, there's an opportunity for growth. Speaking of growth, it's clear that effective communication is the cornerstone for building trust, whether it's among staff, parents, or in leadership roles. I loved how we explored the nuances of leadership communication. It's not just about delivering a message, but creating a shared vision that resonates with everyone involved and giving ownership to the people around you. Those tools that Amanda shared, pure gold. Clear communication is like a well-orchestrated symphony and each tool is playing a unique note. Timing, shared values, embracing conflict, 
These aren't just abstract concepts. They're practical elements that can transform the dynamics of any early childhood setting. And let's not forget the reflection on conflict. It is not about avoiding it, but understanding that conflict when navigated well can lead to stronger relationships and better resolutions. If you're a teacher or director listening, I would love to hear how you plan to start implementing these techniques. Leave a comment in the review section so we can follow along and cheer you on in your journey. The impact on your classroom or center could be transformative with the tools that Amanda gave us. Thank you again to Amanda for sharing her wisdom and insights. It's been an incredible journey into the heart of communication in ECE. And to our listeners, remember to explore the additional resources in the show notes. Share your thoughts and experiences with us. Let's keep this conversation going. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and keep shaping the future of early childhood education. I'll see you then.